Why do people hate NFTs? That's where it gets really weird. The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. What is a culture war? We tend to use it flippantly. I use it all the time. Normally to describe a fight about a subjective opinion inflamed on party lines. I don't always mean that to be political parties, by the way, but it's often that too. Should abortion be legal? Are musicians making my kids worse by cursing too much? Is God real? All of these questions have filled television blocks, sold books, and launched careers. They are endlessly fascinating because our opinions of these topics are often very, very personal. In fact, the more philosophical among us have to deliberately remove your own visceral attachment to even truly analyze the arguments themselves. Or at least they should. Those are the questions. But what makes them special? What elevates an incident into a war? In my opinion, it's the headcount. So many people have nearly identical belief structures that these questions provoke not just a soldier, but an army. It's the reason that politicians staple themselves to these issues to demonstrate that they are just like you. And you know, your San Francisco quarterback, I'm sure nobody ever heard of him, that NFL owners don't want to pick him up because they don't want to get a nasty tweet from Donald Trump. Do you believe that? So let's use this little nugget as an example. Colin Kaepernick, at this point, a backup quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, starts a national conversation because he begins kneeling during the national anthem before his team's football games. It becomes an immediate culture war issue, one that transfers very cleanly into the political realm. Like you have the NFL players kneeling during the national anthems. I wanted to know if you found that disrespectful to our country, to our veterans, and... My, my short answer is no. I don't think it's disrespectful. Here's my, my longer answer. But I'm gonna... That is, at the time, senatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke commenting on the same issue. Despite the fact that he was running in Texas, where the American flag and football are essentially state dogma. Oh, and it has Dallas in it who famously hates the 49ers. There was a lot of reasons why that wasn't a smart idea. Anyway, one side of this culture war issue looked at it as a protest for an aggrieved population. The other saw it as disrespect for both a nation and the people who protect it. Boom. Ratings, books, a Netflix series, and votes. Well, not enough votes for Beto, he lost. Then again, Trump lost his next election too. Still, connect the culture war dots, activate the army's profit. But then again, 
that's easier said than done, right? We, we tend to think of culture war issues as being these very, very easy things to step into the middle of. And I guess sometimes they are, and some people become hacks because they are attracted to it. But you do have to know the pulse of the people. You've got to know where the armies are. And some of the most successful salesmen, creators, politicians, and yes, pundits, know the secret fault lines that we stand on. What unite us and divide us. And those that seek to exploit this knowledge come up with an issue that splits the room. Which brings me to NFTs. And what's this? The world of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, basically meaning one-of-a-kind digital assets. And in recent years, it's taken the art scene by storm. Um, Each of those 300 NFTs that we gave out as like a physical card that you could cash in are worth about a million dollars. On the surface, buyers appear to be purchasing what's already on the internet for free. In February alone, NFT sales hitting $340 million. That's up from $12 million in December. But I've been fascinated by NFTs. Well, not, not the NFTs themselves per se, but rather the emerging argument about them. And specifically, who is arguing on either side? It might seem small now, but just like a backup quarterback's opinion, I believe that the line in the sand being drawn on this might be a redefinition of one that has been scrambled beyond recognition over the last 20 years. It's something that cuts across race and class, age and gender. What I believe we are seeing before our very eyes is the recodifying of an age-old war that's been used in every facet of our culture. Jocks versus nerds. My name is Justin Robert Young, and this is Politics, 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 a production of Dog and Pony Show Audio. All right, the rest of this podcast is going to deal with a lot of jargon. And I know that if you're listening to a political podcast, even though you have crossed a technical barrier to be able to download a digital audio file onto your phone, computer, or smartwatch, it doesn't mean that everybody is a technical wizard and is going to understand some of the terminology that we are going to use. So if you do, please be patient. If you don't, I would like to welcome Tom Merritt of the Daily Tech News Show to help us explain exactly what an NFT is. Tom? An NFT, I'm going to explain it on three different levels. Okay, there's the mechanical level, 
There's the how people are using it level, and then the more philosophical level. Let's which start is with I the mechanical level. Yeah. This is this is this is the uh, 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 the easy 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 mechanical version because I know that there are <laughs> endless layers of complexity <laughs> that we can get into. But but in, and, in the dirt, and the mechanical, I'm going to keep the mechanical version very top level. Yeah, I've got uh, episodes of a podcast called Know a Little More About Blockchain. If yep. you really want to get into the details, but at, in in the surface level, an NFT is a very difficult to forge record of a thing on the internet. And if you if you start to want to be like, yeah, but how can they not copy it? Everything on the internet is copyable. That's where it starts to get into the technical yes. versions of it. On but, why but, why this yeah. is different. But what, what they do, they use a lot of encryption. They use the blockchain to make it very difficult for anyone to change the record. And the record is decentralized. So the record exists in lots of places. That's part of the reason it's hard to cha change. Because even if you change it one place, you haven't changed it in enough places. And so the decentralized record says something. Now, NFT itself stands for non-fungible token. Fungibility is what we have with a dollar bill. $1 bill is as good as any other dollar bill. It doesn't yeah. matter which dollar bill I have. They're both a dollar bill and you can change them. They are fungible uh, for each other. A non-fungible token means this is not directly exchangeable. It's unique. It is, it is saying this token represents a thing that it only represents the one thing. You can't, it's not a coin like a dollar bill or a Bitcoin that you can exchange for something else. And so you prove that this is unique by this complex math thing? Yeah, so there's there's lots of different ways to do it, but but they all generally rely on a blockchain. Uh, and the blockchain is is a massive decentralized computation, lots of computers verifying the same math that's and then the same record once the math is done that says, okay, we're very sure that this, record uh, says this and nothing else. And the this can be lots of different things. What, one of the things that a blockchain is used for is to say, this coin belongs to Justin, not Tom or anybody else. Mm -hmm. And you can use that same process to say, this uh, piece of art, digital art belongs to Justin. And so the NFT is essentially a token that is recording the ownership of something is I, I, we're starting to move into the second, which is how it's used. Okay. Let's get but into the, that. Yeah. But the NFT is saying, Hey, we're, we're going to use this non-fungible token, this unique token to say, this is an, a record of ownership of a piece of digital art or a ticket to a, a concert or, or permanent front row tickets for life. Or it, it can record lots of different things. People have talked about using it for home ownership and, and things like that. But it is a persistent token that's easy to access and determine who the record says owns the thing. Uh, and it is then also hard to change, like we've talked about. So it's very clear that unless you authorize, okay, I'm selling this token uh, from Justin, Justin's going to sell this to Heaton. Uh, unless you authorize that, Justin, then nobody else can can say that it belongs to anybody else until you say it does. So how are people using it? Uh, lot, lots of the stuff is around art, uh, you know, saying I own this, this digital piece of art. Uh, one of the more popular ones is the Bored Ape Yacht Club, uh, where you buy a unique ape. Uh, and the ape not only has a unique look, but also has stats and attributes. 
Uh, people have been using it for games where you could like. Well, hold on, but before we get away from the art, that's where the like the right click save meme comes well, from, right? All of this is right click save, right? NFTs yeah. represent the ownership, not the thing. So if you are just buying, let's say I, I, my friend Len Peralta is an artist. I bought an NFT of one of his pieces of art. Yeah. I don't own the only copy of the art. I own the token that says I am the official owner, according to Len, of yeah. the art. Uh, and then there's a, there's a lot of things you have to consider about, well, who's running the exchange upon which your token is recorded? Because I might go to some fly-by-night exchange and say, I'm Len Peralta and I could forge tokens. So there's a little bit of a, a human element here of trusting the platform and the platform making sure that the people selling the NFTs are authorized to sell the NFTs in the first place. Those aren't new problems though. Yeah. And, I was going to say, you that, 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 that seems like the same yeah. thing that happens when you have a, uh, a, uh, you know, a, a different art that people don't own that show up on Teespring or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Very, very good. Physical merchandise can can be copied, just maybe not quite as as fast as digital art, but it can be copied just the same. So that part of it's not new. People get really fixated on that. Well, anybody could sell an NFT. It's like, well, yeah, but anybody can also sell Mickey Mouse yeah. t-shirts. And too. there's no rules in the rule book. It says a dog can't play, blast, play basketball. <laughs> right. So, so so there's these marketplaces and OpenSea is is one. There, there's several that are very reputable and and try to police things. Not that they don't make mistakes. All platforms do. Uh, but but they generally try to keep the bad actors off. And that's the kind of thing that if this catches on and persists, uh, we'll work out better ways of doing it. But the 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 end result is people are using them to trade digital ownership of items. And uh, like I was saying, it could be digital art. Could be games. Uh, you could have a game item where you say, like, I have a wizard and the wizard has these stats and I'm the only one with a wizard that has these stats. And then I use that in a game and the game can say, well, we'll respect the NFTs on this platform to, you know, execute the game so that we know you're the only one with that wizard in the game. And there are other games that can have that. And that's where it starts to tie into the metaverse, which is a whole other topic. But one of the important things in a, in a metaverse would be to have items, digital items that you own. And NFTs could be a way to prove ownership of digital items. Philosophically, what are NFTs? <sighs> That's where it gets really messy because the whole idea of NFTs is based on the psychology and belief in the scarcity of the record. Uh, and there's there's so many allegories of like, well, it's it's like trading cards or it's like sneakers or and none of them are perfect. But there is a psychology to us where we will look at something that isn't unique, but a very small part of it is unique and therefore we value it. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I, I think of as an example, and this, this actually applies to sneakers, but I, I run into it mostly in toy collecting is the numbered series. Yeah, I have the one of 420 of these plastic toys and mine is number one. So that one's more valuable. It's exactly the same as the, the rest of them, except for that number. But the record, so the record is what We have a psychological value on, yeah, but that's number one in the series. And so NFT is like that with the physicality removed. Like it's just the pure psychology of, of being able to say, I own the thing. Why do people hate NFTs? That's where it gets 
really weird. Because that's what uh, all this is going to be about. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna spend the next 30 minutes uh-huh. on this podcast talking about I'm I'm doing gonna do my best to guess why people hate NFTs. Friends of ours for which have loved every dumb thing that the internet has 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 fallen oh, yeah. off the internet tree from time immemorium. And now, am I going crazy when I think that there is like just a an organized visceral hate for this concept? There's so many. There's so many reasons it could be, and I I, I definitely don't claim to know. So and I'm not I, crazy. This does yeah, exist, but it does exist. There there are people who are virulently anti NFT. Uh, and who roll their eyes. Some of it has to do, I think the the easiest part to wrap your head around is the culture that NFTs is coming out of. It's coming out of a very bro-y, startup, Silicon Valley, game stonk, uh, diamond hands culture. It's coming out of that same area. And if you're enthusiastic about that culture, then you're like more likely to think NFTs are cool because so does everybody else. If you've always looked at that culture skeptically or even antagonistically, then you're going to be more likely to say, oh, NFTs, that's that dumb thing that those people like. I think that is kind of the biggest part of it, but it's not the whole of it. So if we can say that there is a collectivity to or a community to people who enjoy NFTs, do you believe that there is a collectivity or a community of people who don't like it? Are they defined solely by their opposition mm-hmm. to, to the in-group or is there something else? Well, and I think that's why this won't last. I don't think you'll, you'll if, hate it, Well, yeah, either NFTs will fade away and they won't be a thing. And then everybody will forget about them. That's pretty obvious. Or they'll stick around and become useful. And I don't think the opposition has enough of a, of a binding uh, element to it to stay together in the face of utility. See, I think we disagree. I okay. think we disagree because I do think that this divide is going to stay stay for a while, mostly because I don't think it's purely about NFTs. I think it's about something more elemental and more primal. I believe, Tom Merritt, mm. that it is a reconstituted version of a jock versus nerd divide. Technology used to be the ultimate definition of a nerd. It had a difficult learning curve. It was something for which the in-group had very little interest because they found it hard to access and confusing and without much near-term gain. But the internet gave birth to communities that transcended the greatest gift the jocks ever had. The reality of social hierarchy. With the internet, nerds could find other nerds and talk exclusively about what they wanted to talk about without fear of judgment, score, or any kind of social degradation. And if they were judged or bullied, they could simply log off or join another community. I mean... Usually after some kind of very lengthy, very embarrassing flame war. No longer would their interests be so influential in a reputation in the same way that they would if you were all in one physical area. The reputation that used to keep people in line now mattered 
less. But then... Well, we don't want to do either one of these things. What we want to do is make a leapfrog product that is way smarter than any mobile device has ever been and super easy to use. This is what iPhone is. Okay? Technology became easier. Smartphones, apps, cellular data made the learning curve nearly obsolete. Hell, my jockass friends who used to say things like beep pop, beep pop whenever I would talk about making a living on the internet now play fantasy football, smash babes on Tinder, and stream UFC fights on ESPN+. This is the full assimilation. The internet is the Borg. Resistance is futile. Okay, wait, let me do one for the jocks. The internet is the SEC. Eventually, everybody who matters will be involved in it. The paradigm we used to know, and for many of us, grew up on, died. Which is why I'm so interested in this NFT debate. Because the people in my social circle who seem to have complained about them the most are the most old growth internet people I know. Folks that used to love the endless cornucopia of interesting, frivolous, and speculative gifts the worldwide community could come up with. Social media, gifts, webcomics, videos, apps that only allowed you to send the message yo to a friend. That is yeah. ridiculously simple. Exactly. And you were just yoed. That was a real app. It was called yo. <laughs> Look it up. We used to love that stuff. Sure, a lot of it was insanely stupid. But none of us wanted the conveyor belt to stop humming. And even the things that were dumb, you just kind of let it pass by. You knew that the internet was fleeting. Eventually, something else would come along. There's a lot of stuff that you can point to when it comes to the melding of jock and nerd culture. I remember the first time that I found Deadspin.com during the glorious aughts boom of the blogosphere. All of a sudden, all of the nerd impulses that I had about sports, the domain of the jocks, was served. Numbers mattered. Toxic win-at-all-costs attitudes were shunned. Dull meathead takes dismantled. Nerds now run sports, largely because... They were right. The games feel different. Some changes are good, some are bad. Some of the most popular personalities of ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports, are unapologetic nerds like Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes. This has come to the consternation of many jocks, which you can find if you just go into the at replies on social media for Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes. Similarly, nerd cultures became mainstream. Jocks love the frivolity and action of Marvel movies. They have unparalleled access to the interests that they like, as well as a new place where they could show off the hard work it takes to stay in shape. True story. 
There was an investigation done a few years ago investigating why professional basketball teams playing home games didn't have the same statistical advantage that they used to. Basically, back in the day, they used to win more at home, and now that had kind of leveled out. So what was the answer? Were refs being less intimidated by crowds? Medical technology? Nope. The biggest reason that this article found? Because NBA players were able to have sex faster and easier thanks to the internet. I remember this was once described by uh, a Jalen Rose from the Jalen and Jacoby podcast. An NBA player in the 90s would have to land, oftentimes as late as 10, 11 o'clock at night, get dressed, go to a club or bar, and hope to impress women with their celebrity. And then go back and have sex. That is something that if you only account for traffic time based on where the hotel is, can be anywhere between a one to five hour endeavor before the sex. But now, in the glorious world of the internet, while still on the private plane, an NBA player can just post a picture that says, just landed in New York, and then look through the comments of a self-selecting audience of likely very willing sex participants and DM them the address so they can be met at the hotel. Sex is had faster, more sleep is gained, and the passes, shooting, and scoring is more accurate. The definition of a nerd by its ultimate creation has been shattered forever. And it's something that a lot of nerds really don't like. In the 80s, nerd was a bad thing. You didn't want to be accused of being a nerd. Now, uh, people are like, oh, I love bread. I'm kind of a bread nerd. This is Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage. And I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Like like in high school, you were dating cheerleaders. I was building one. I have, <laughs> I've, I've, like, I've earned, I've earned the right to say nerd. And like, I, like the other day I saw somebody's profile and it was like, uh, um, you'll know you're, uh, a weird like me if you wake up before dawn and I'm like that's half the no that's not weird you don't get to claim weirdness because you're a morning person but people like but, but, Ooh, ner but ner nerd became special nerd means special now we're now able to share every incremental level of our lives and we realize that as our human condition, we're all self-conscious about everything, right? We all think that we are apart from the pack when we wake up early, when we like bread, when we watch Downton Abbey for 12 hours or something like that. Now we're able to share all that. And you realize that, oh, no, we're all these very weird, you know, maladjusted or, or well-adjusted people. And, and we can create community based on that. Meanwhile, what we used to in a world before we were all able to share everything, what we used to define nerd as was the result. Who's the outcast? Who's the in-group? The outcast must be doing things that are bad, whether or not the uh, captain of the football team and the stinkiest uh, 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 nerd on the planet uh, both love Superman and in a in a different world could 
on an online forum connect about Superman all day long. What mattered was, well, the way he likes Superman makes him great. <laughs> the way that you like Superman defines you as as the outgroup. So if we know what NFTs are, and we know the story of the jock versus the nerd, then why are NFTs the wedge issue that they are? Why are they, in the minds of many, an evil Ponzi scheme instead of just a dumb thing the internet gave us? Let's think about that jock archetype again. Impulsive, aggressive, unrecognizing of privilege, eager to create a community based on exclusion. The nerd archetype tends to be the diametric opposite. Contemplative, reserved, constantly aware of hierarchy, and seeking of a community that will love them. An anthropologist smarter than me could probably track these traits to things like hunter-gatherers versus nurturers and healers. A shock jock dumber than me could boil this down to masculine and feminine traits. The oldest line in the sand on this, so much so that it gave birth to the nomenclature, is obviously athletics. Something that rewards all of the jock traits and punishes the nerd traits. But the internet, as we just discussed, crushed that and made it okay to appreciate sports from a nerd perspective with analytics and snark. It also made it cool for jocks to enjoy the art treasured by nerds like comic books and anime. Without a traditional fault line, this dynamic has been in the wilderness. But just because it's lost doesn't mean it will never be found. Think about the words that people use to describe usually men who obsess about things like Web3, NFTs, and cryptocurrency. Bros. Crypto bros. NFT bros. The people that revere NFTs pride themselves on acting fast, buying these NFTs because they'll be worthwhile in the long run, just like aggression and discipline are building blocks for a fulfilled life. This leads to a community that gets it and looks down on those who don't as either being cowardly or foolish. Snooze you lose, nerd. The fortune favors the bold approach is the central thesis of a commercial for Crypto.com, narrated by Matt Damon of all people. History is filled with almosts, with those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, but ultimately, for them it proved to be too much. Then there are others. As they peer over the edge, they calm their minds and steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. So I don't know about you guys, but just the verbiage used there reminded me of something. A very, very stereotypically jockey kind of advertisement. I mean, jock-y, not jockey the underwear. It reminded me of a Gatorade ad. In fact, let's, let's play it one more time, but 
This time, let's throw in a bunch of random sports sound effects I found on YouTube. Okay. And then one of those kind of like rise and grind hip-hop songs with a horn intro. Perfect. And now, Q-Mat Damon. History is filled with almosts. With those who almost adventured, who almost achieved, but ultimately, for them it proved to be too much. Then there are others. As they peer over the edge, they calm their minds and steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. Fortune favors the brave. For those not ready to not start. I'm just saying, it fits. But at what cost? Yell the nerds. You could justify it and say, yes, but the problem with NFTs is they're on the blockchain. And when a blockchain is proof of uh, work, uh, that uses a lot of energy, which yep. is bad for the environment. You can, you can go down those roads. The power needed to mint the coins comes from somewhere. And NFTs are purchased with these coins. It's a necessity so you can record this transaction. It is a fundamental part of proving the idea of scarcity. The denial of privilege here is apparent. Galling even, yell the critics. How can these bros not see this? Is buying a bored ape NFT worth the continued warming of the planet? Will the Jimmy Butler top shot keep you dry when the Atlantic Ocean claims South Beach due to melted ice caps? And beyond that, chuckles, the wise old nerd. Will these things be worth anything? Dubious. The nerds point to other bubbles. Dutch tulips. Beanie babies. This is classic jock behavior. Pouring themselves into flickering pursuits that will eventually leave them less fulfilled. Turns out looking before you leap is still a pretty good trait after all. Let me, let me ask you this. Now that you have heard my argument. Mm-hmm. Now, that you have, now that you have grokked what I'm saying. The part of the blockchain, the promise of the blockchain, is the idea of a decentralized web, something that people call Web3, something that could Mm -hmm. uh, fundamentally, the promise of it is that it could replace a lot of walled gardens, things that we think of now as almost infallible and even politically have gotten so big that it's become political coup to talk about reforming them. Things like social networks, things like banking, things like uh, anything else you can think of that has a central server for uh, uh, an internet service. If this is something that is a culture war and the promise of Web3 is literally replacing the internet, could you see this divide and this rift getting larger? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, in fact, we're already seeing splintering from within the Web3 movement. Uh, I don't know if you followed the the spat between Mark Andreessen and Jack Dorsey. Uh, Mark Andreessen, no. the founder of Netscape, the venerable browser that helped plow the internet of the 90s, became a venture capitalist, is now still a very, Andreessen Horowitz is a, a big venture capitalist company, funds a lot of successful tech companies. Among Jack the Dorsey, biggest, yeah. of course, very famously, uh, recently stepped down as the CEO of Twitter, is still the CEO of Square, was a co-founder of Twitter. Dorsey is very pro-decentralization, but very anti-Web3. Dorsey is out there saying Web3 is centralized because at the end, even if the tech is decentralized, the funding is all centralized under the a few VC companies. And he picks on Andreessen's companies in particular. Andreessen, of course, doesn't like that, comes back with his own remarks about Dorsey, et cetera. So there's, there's already a fight over who's got the purest ideology of decentralization happening. Uh, so there's no doubt going to be a fight over who's got the acceptable version of decentralization at all, or whether we even need it. Uh, the the problem I'm I'm having from this point of view is nobody likes big tech, and yeah. pretty much all of Web three is set up as the opposition of big tech, which makes yes. it immediately popular. So that Dorsey and Dreesen thing comes up because I'm like, ah, but maybe that's the future fault line, and we start to see people lining up on one side or the other of the future web three, which would then not be about NFTs or not NFTs, but whose implementation of NFTs or the metaverse or whatever. Well, Tom, no matter the evolution of this culture war, when it begins to walk on two legs, we can agree that on some level it came from bored apes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And don't forget people <laughs> and people. I don't think that NFTs are going to be a topic at the next presidential debate. These fault lines are not mature enough to register on that level. But they might. I think it's coming. In the same way that Sean Hannity used to signal his everyman-ness by tossing a football to his producers off camera, we will eventually see new signifiers with his replacements. Politicians are going to need ways to signal that they're with you. Pundits are going to need to find a way to signal that they have the same enemies. It might seem silly now, but it won't the more it grows, the more it evolves. A simple issue to awaken a common cause, something that divides the room. A culture war on the blockchain. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to send an email about this show, you can do so at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at px3tweets. You can see me live on the internet Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Twitch at px3live.com. A printed version of this episode or a readable version of this episode uh, is a part of my newsletter, which you can find at px3newsletter.com. 
You can share this podcast with a friend by heading to px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support this show by uh, a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash payjury. My Venmo is justin-young-20. My cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything physical to P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. If you would like bonus content... From this show, you can do so at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. There you get two bonus episodes per week if you sign up at the $3 level. At the $10 level, you get your name read at the end of each and every one of these podcasts, including the weird essay ones like this. Idris Arzlandian, DJ Katie Mack, Neemeister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, DeKinsey, Anile, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicery, TV salesman or spy. D really and vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc Edison. No mention on the podcast, please. Dot com junkie. DP for Bongo. Jewish Lives Matter. Hundred Mile Runner. Staff Sergeant Poopers. Diana's scathing scowls. Double K Ranch. Ye old pinball shop. John Snuffy's off Route Forty Four. Super Zoomy. Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D-Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, The Gen, Will, J-Pink, and Andrew. If you'd like to join their ranks, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and sign up. That is it for this week of politics, politics, politics programming. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back with you next week. A reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, and I think it's more apparent than ever with this episode, is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Politics. 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 Perfect. Gatorade. It probably hydrates you. Gatorade. It's delicious. Gatorade. For bros that can't stop growing. Gatorade. It's Gatorade. Gatorade. Yeah, baby. Gatorade. You love to throw it on the coach at the end of the game. Gatorade. It's Gatorade time.